people. Hello, my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning. And I'm your host, Dixie Lee Henning. And this is a podcast where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. Yes, we're doing it. We're here again for another week. Babe, this is episode 24. Yeah, and episode 24 also happens to be our longest episode. It sure is. But... That works out so good because our guest is the coolest person in America, probably. Absolutely. She's pretty great. We got so much good tape with her. It was... It was hard to cut stuff. It was a labor of love for me <laughs> to get it to, one, to where I got it because we went for almost three hours. Yeah. It was a real, real fun, good time. Good work. Anyway, so this week... We're keeping this little intro real short because the episode is real long. So we interviewed Ashley Martin from Helena, Montana. She is the coolest of beans. She's an author. She's an artist. She was a homeschooler. Mm. Um, like, graduated when she was 15 years yeah, old. Yeah, graduated when she was 15 what? years got old. Married got married when she was, when she was 18. Has two amazing kids, and her husband is also cool, I guess, sometimes. Tony. Nah, he is cool all the time. But this is about Ashley. Absolutely. So let's just get right into it. Without any further ado. Yep. Ashley Martin. (laughs) We're going to get started with rapid fire questions. These are either or. Don't feel like you need to think too hard. Just kind of, just for fun. Ashley, are you ready? I'm ready. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Oceans or lakes? Lakes. Rain or sun? Rain. Tea or coffee? Tea. Early morning or late night? Late night. Summer or winter? Summer. Libraries or museums? Libraries. Cats or dogs? Cats. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. East coast or west coast? Oh, gosh. Uh, West coast. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Hogwarts or the Shire? I hate this question. (laughs) (laughs) If I am forced to choose just one, Hogwarts. Pizza or tacos? Tacos. Vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. Books or movies? Books. Handshakes or hugs? Hugs. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Phone calls or texts? Texts. Nice. Okay. That's the end of the either or. Now just some more Ooh, fun. Like, sweating. I know. <laughs> so stressful, right? <laughs> Okay, so now it's going to be some more open-ended, low-pressure icebreaker questions, starting with a series of favorites. Okay. 
What's your favorite candy? Man, I feel like I feel very high maintenance here. I, <laughs> I feel like I need some context on this. I'm one of those people where it depends on the situation. Right. Okay. Like, are we talking, what are you eating first from the leftover Halloween candy? Ooh. Or movie theater candy? Or like money is no option, posh chocolate. <laughs> oh, I want to know all the answers, honestly. (laughs) Thank you for defining these subcategories for us. (laughs) Thank you for being difficult. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's start then with Halloween candy. Okay. I am always going to go for the fruit candy. Like nobody else likes it. You know, usually everybody goes for the chocolate. That's because that's the right answer. (laughs) I am going for the like chewy sweet tarts and the nerds out of the Halloween bucket. See, I'm totally with you. Fruit candy all the way, mostly because I'm allergic to peanuts and most chocolate bars have nuts in them. So like yeah, fruit candies, man. Jolly mm. Ranchers, Skittles. Okay, then what about movie theater candy? Reese's Pieces. Yes. Sorry, Steven. I know it. Oh. Not for you. That's but. fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I won't sit next to you while I eat More it. for I, us. It's fine. Literally, as long as you don't kiss me on the mouth, we're good. <laughs> so. Well, I think Dixie would beat me up, so... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think we're squared away. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> All right. And I think Uh-oh. you said favorite super high end chocolate. So like posh chocolate out of Missoula has this chai chocolate bar that is fantastic. Mm. And that's one of my favorite. Like if I'm willing to drop five dollars on a candy bar, Ooh. I will get that and make it last for like a week. Okay, I'm not sure if you're going to create subcategories for this one, but what's your favorite <laughs> snack? <laughs> I am a big fan of chips and guac. Oh, yes. Favorite morning drink? I love homemade turmeric lattes. Ooh, yeah. With like fresh turmeric root, none of the like powdered spice stuff. It's right. so much better if it's fresh. It's delicious. What's your favorite city? London. I love it so much. I want to go back. As if it were possible to narrow it down to one what's your favorite novel oh man i don't know if i can pick a single favorite i don't i don't really have like an overarching favorite that i go back and read again and again and again i always have so many books that I want to read that I'm always jumping to like the next read. I don't typically go back and reread things. For me, it's very much like I have favorite books from different periods of time and different moments in my life. Recently, one of my favorite reads has been The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, Coates' writing is so beautiful and poetic and lyrical. And I've always been drawn to that type of writing where you just kind of get lost in the words. And it's such a both beautiful and heartbreaking story. It's about a slave who begins working with the Underground Railroad. And there's this fantasy element of the conduction on the railroad that is interwoven into the story that is so powerful. And it's one of those books where I just kept thinking as I read it that like, this book isn't about like entertaining. This is a book that is making me better because it's very um, honest about the brutality of slavery and of that time period and 
just really eye-opening in a lot of ways. And I was really impacted by it. And so that would definitely be probably my number one book of 2020 thus far. Definitely one that I've been recommending to a lot of people. What is your favorite smell? I love the smell of lavender. Mm. Favorite TV show? Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Nice. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? I really like Moose Tracks. Again, with the chocolate and peanut butter. Right. That one's always a favorite. What are foods you will never eat? I love food and cooking Mm -hmm. and learning about food. So I'm like super committed to being adventurous in my eating and being willing to try anything. Right. But I will say I have never had, and I just don't know if I could do it. I've never had oysters. Oh, really? And I just, I was not expecting that one. (laughs) Get past how they look. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know if I could do it. What would you eat for your last meal? So I don't know. This isn't like a specific meal but I would love and I would hope that this would not like get pushed off to my very last meal I hope to have it before (laughs) then but I really want to go to Noma in Amsterdam it's a really like high-end Michelin star restaurant and I would love to go there Um, specific dishes I love Indian food so chicken tikka masala is one of my favorites nice who is the smartest person you know that is a very good question. I One of the people that I love, whose wisdom that I appreciate so much, is actually one of your past podcast guests, Kyle Heineke. Yeah, my dude. I would dude. definitely put him up there on my, my wise list. For real. What was your first job? My dad worked for... It's called Farm in the Dell. Here in Helena, it's an organization called Westmont that provides um, housing for um, the disabled community. Um, Oh, wow. And they have this farm that lots of the residents stay at. They have like, or they had back in the day when I was younger, like a petting zoo and stuff. I don't know if they still have it. But one thing that they do is they grow tomatoes. And so my first job was working in this little tomato shed (laughs) where they sold tomatoes on the property and people could drive in and buy tomatoes. And that was my first job. I was a tomato girl. Excellent. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first pet? Oh, gosh. I had a lot of pets. I don't know if I can define which one was my first. I know I had a hamster. Mm. Okay. Named Winnie the Pooh. <gasps> yes. <laughs> That's adorable. Oh my and gosh. It's, it's either that one or uh, we had a black lab named Cricket. I'm not sure which one came first. Oh my gosh. One or the other. That's a very good name for a That's black lab. Such a, did I'm you make your hamster wear a little sweet. red shirt ever? <laughs> no. Aww. But he was orange, I think, <laughs> hence. The name and the resemblance. I had a hamster when I was little and my sister had a hamster when we were little. We both had hamsters and she named her hamster, her girl hamster, Rose. And I was jealous. So I named my boy hamster Flower because I wanted to be cool. I That like (laughs) makes me think of Bambi and the skunk. Yes. And how I could never like, I just remember being very confused yeah, as a kid, why, why because is this I was boy like, named Flower? Why is his name Flower? <laughs> yeah. Current, like, 
gender commentary aside, yeah. I just remember very distinctly. <laughs> Why is this boy named Flower? Get into that. <laughs> yeah. But right. I, yeah, no offense meant to anyone by yeah. my confusion over... Why the best That's fair. I was, flower. I was like, Flower is a totally normal name for a boy. Yeah, yeah my boy I mean, hamster's name is Flower. It's just how oh, I roll. This is very good. <laughs> do you have a historical hero? I don't know that I specifically do. I think I have historical figures that I definitely appreciate and love learning about. Definitely Anne Frank, I think, would be one. Like I, I read the Diary of Anne Frank as a kid and that really impacted me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's who I would go with. Nice. Good one. What's the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I okay, here's the thing. You have to understand <laughs> that I was homeschooled. <laughs> yes. In the nineties. Yes. So that says it all. That says it all. Just say the most prominent thing. I'm sure we're all thinking it. Velour jumpers are probably (laughs) really high up there. I knew you were going to say that. I was like, just say it. Just say it. This is every stereotype. (laughs) Oh, every stereotype. Oh, man. I can literally see you in my mind. (laughs) Everything you're thinking is correct. Like waist length, stick straight hair. Yeah. Turtleneck. Nice. Underneath. Of the velour jumper. Yep. Oh, Beauty. Fantastic. Beauty and grace. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Honestly, sometimes invisibility. Mm. Not to like eavesdrop on people, but just to like be able to get away from it. And not be bothered. Oh. <laughs> and really be the ultimate introvert. Yes. Like, nice. I'm not here. You can't see me. <laughs> Perfect. I don't want to listen to you. I just don't want you to see me. <laughs> That's good. Nice. I feel that. What's the best live concert you've ever been to? I have not been to very many live concerts. Okay. Can, if you want to talk again about being homeschooled <laughs> and having oh, grown yes. up for my early years on the East Coast, I've been to a lot of Carmen concerts. <laughs> yes. Okay. I don't know if I oh would define God. that as the best concert I've ever been to. You've been to them though, so it's um, fair. Literally, like Carmen, and then I've been to a Super Chicken Sanctus Real concert, <laughs> which was pretty rad. Nice. And I've been to well, Fits in the Tantrums. Nice. Fits in the Tantrums was actually a really fun concert that is definitely was probably the best out of my very mediocre assortment of concert attendances nice (laughs) Nice. i love it (laughs) what did you want to be when you grew up i wanted to be a writer that was always my lifelong childhood dream that's what i wanted to do you Mm. freaking did it i did (laughs) and who got you inspired to that dream i think just i loved books from the time i was from the time I could read, I always was reading. I was always carrying a book around. I, you know, even just driving 20 minutes to the grocery store, I took a book with me in the wow. car. Yeah. So that was just a culmination of of loving stories as a kid. And that was what I wanted to do. That's awesome. That's so good. Okay. And finally, in these icebreakers here, what would you consider to be your proudest achievement? I mean, I've, I've written 
five novels. And we wow. can talk more about that journey. They're not published, but I've written them and I'm super proud of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm also really super proud of the kids that my husband and I have raised. They're yeah. really cool kids. Mm, yeah. You have some cool kids. And I'm I'm very proud of, of that and of them. That's beautiful. I love that answer. Okay. Well, that was the end of Rapid Fire and Icebreaker. So Ashley Martin, thank you so much for being on No Normal People. I'm very excited for you to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. Let's get introduced to you a little bit. Would you tell us about uh, where you grew up, how you grew up, and what your family was like growing up? So I was born in Pennsylvania. We lived essentially on a farm, and it was a really fantastic childhood. Like, I had a ton of fun. We rented half of an, a farmhouse and it was like an operating farm. So there was cornfields and potato fields and orchards. And I spent my summers just kind of roaming around with my dog, and riding my bike and reading books. And that's cool. It was really awesome. Like I definitely, I love the East Coast. And when I was nine, we moved to Montana and we drove across the country Wow. Three times in about two months between Pennsylvania and Montana. Wow. So that is a huge like memory from my childhood is driving across the country. (laughs) Remember that month when we lived in a car? That was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Genuinely. (laughs) We got really sick of restaurant food. Yeah. Let me tell you. It loses its charm really quickly. Then when we lived here when I was young, again, lots of like ruralness. I am a city girl who has always lived in rural areas (laughs) and was raised by two parents who are very much happier in rural areas than they are not city people like. Right. It's it's funny now I look back and where we lived in Pennsylvania, literally I think it's like, you know, a four hour drive to New York City. And we like never went to (laughs) like New York or even Philadelphia or Washington DC, like all of these places that now like living in Montana and getting so used to driving really long distances to (laughs) go anywhere. Right. I'm like, we could have gone there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, my parents were not interested. So even in Montana, I grew up my, when we first moved here, my parents ran a bed and breakfast and took care of this sort of semi-ranch that this woman owned. We lived there for free in exchange for taking care of the animals. And we had llamas and goats and chickens. And so I had this very, like, rural farming childhood (laughs) and was homeschooled and grew up in church. And so, yeah, pretty much like you were saying, Stephen, every stereotype that you can pretty much think of as right. far as growing up in the 90s in a conservative Christian homeschooled home. I mean, I pretty much hit all of the markers yeah. for that. that. Do it. You nailed it. <laughs> Just nailed it. Check the boxes all the way down the list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up in a loving home. My parents have been married for 37 years, I think, wow. this wow. fall. Yeah. So, I mean, I... I had it pretty good. So were you homeschooled through high school, like kindergarten to 12? I was. Wow. I So I graduated when I was 15. Wow. Um, my good. mom basically was like, okay, you have gone far enough. <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm aging myself here. This was like 
pre-online schooling. Okay. This was when you had like correspondence schools where you would do courses through the mail. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And submit your tests over the phone. And so she was like, you have enough. You can either like keep going and go all the way through to 12th grade or we can do this correspondence course for you to get your high school diploma because you have enough education to be able to qualify for that and do it and you can graduate early. So of course being, I mean, now I know Enneagram one (laughs) and, and only child, I was an only child. I didn't have any siblings. So I was very independent. Yeah. That was going to be my second question. (laughs) Yep. Just me. So of course I was like, well, yeah, I want to be done with school. So um, (laughs) yeah, I ended up graduating when I was 15. Wow. So did you find that books, honestly, I, I know a few people who were only kids, like only children. And it's, it's so hard for me to wrap my brain around that reality, like being the only child in the house with your parents. So do you think this is part of where your love of books came in? Like you didn't necessarily have like a brother and sister to go play with or take care of the chores together. So do you think books kind of became your de facto, like your siblings and your friends? Yeah, hundred percent. I just loved being able to be in my own little world. Right. Yeah. And like exploring all of these different places. My parents were definitely not like really hugely social people. So like we had a lot of family when we lived in Pennsylvania before we moved out here. Like we did a lot of stuff with family, with my grandparents. My grandparents actually passed away um, right before we moved to Montana Mm. on Mm. my mom's side. And that was who I was closest with. So I think books were something that not only was a way of like just fun for me. And um, I mean, I spent a lot of time with friends and with kids my own age. I grew up in church and and had friends and had the normal like sleepovers and friends coming over and that kind of thing. But definitely on a like day to day basis like I just loved escaping into that world and when things were hard like when my grandparents were both sick they both went through cancer and battled cancer Mm. and my mom was the oldest of her siblings and my mom's sister at the time was only 18. Wow. And so my mom really like took on so much of the responsibility of taking care of my grandparents. Mm. And because I was homeschooled and because I was an only child, like where she went, I went. And so I spent a good part of a year, like in the hospital with my grandparents and going to chemo appointments. Right. Yeah. And so books were like the thing that helped get me through stuff like that. Right. And those hard times and were a great distraction and were so helpful in that. And so I just, I think I, I continued that as I got older, like books were that thing for me where it was like, if life was hard, like I could set aside that for a minute Mm. and escape into this world where it was exciting and you know especially growing up in rural areas in in Montana and being somebody who had like big dreams and these things that I wanted to do and I said London is my favorite city and my husband and I got to go there for our anniversary last year and it was just the most incredible experience and we both have been wanting to go for a long time but while we were there 
it really came back to me. I had kind of almost forgotten, but when I was in my early teens, like 13, 14 years old, my whole room was like wallpapered with maps of Europe because I wanted so badly to go to Europe. And I had like posters of castles on my wall and I know that I had like a map of London, like the traditional tourist map of London on my wall as a kid. And like, I I remembered that when we were able to go and just thinking about that and how like, I, you know, I was that kid. And, And at the time, like we were living in a trailer court here in Helena So my little bedroom in this single wide trailer (laughs) covered with maps of Europe. And so for me, like reading was how I went there before I could go. And so I was obsessed with fiction and I read way above my age range. Like it's funny because I skipped, I'm a children's, I write children's stories, but so many children's stories I've come to as an adult. Yeah. Because as a kid, Again, growing up in a really like strict Christian household, the the types of books that I read were pretty dictated by that. Right. Mm, and yeah, so yeah. I read some of the traditional stuff, you know, Anne of Green Gables and Little House on the Prairie and right. that kind of, you know, stereotypical stuff. Sure. But I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. I read Harry Potter for the first time in 2015. Oh, my God. So five years ago. My heart. So I didn't grow up reading like all of my peers who are my age. I'm 34. Yeah. Grew up. And they all have these like books that shaped them as kids. You right. know, they were reading Judy Bloom or they were reading Harry Potter and like yeah. Yeah. all that stuff. And I didn't have that experience. I actually... When I was probably 10, 11, 12, when I normally would have been reading that stuff, I had just jumped to reading adult fiction. Oh my God. Because I kind of rolled my eyes at the young adult fiction was not what it is now. Yeah. It's different. <laughs> I remember our library literally having one shelf <laughs> of young adult books when I was that age. Right. They had a pretty large, like, children's novel section, but as far as, like, what we know is YA now, which is like 15 to 18, 14 to 18 year olds. Yeah. Yep. There really wasn't much. And so I jumped and I read tons of historical fiction and yes. mostly Christian, you know, yeah. historical fiction and cheesy Christian romances and like <laughs> yes. all that kind of stuff yes. that is still near and dear to my heart because <laughs> right. of that. But right. I came into children's fiction in my mid twenties and fell in love wow. with it then as I started to read it, I always joke that everyone like has those stories of being homeschooled and growing up in that conservative, strict Christian household. And we all share the stories of like hiding the secular CDs (laughs) from our parents, you know, and all of that. (laughs) But I always joke that whenever there's, because if you get a group of homeschooled Christian kids, it becomes this competition almost. Yeah, like, <laughs> sure like does. how much could Yeah, how much yes. could you not listen yeah. to or yes. watch? How or... much of Adventures and Odyssey can you yeah. pull from memory? Do you know what McGee and Me is? Right. Like those are the key things to define just how. This is so good. I have no idea what you're talking about. So good. <laughs> and I always joke that I win every time <laughs> because not only. Was I not allowed to read Harry Potter? 
I wasn't allowed to read Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Those were also food. My heart. But the trump card, I was not allowed to read The Chronicles of Narnia. What? Because my mom did not like that C.S. Lewis put mythological creatures in it. And I'm fairly certain she used the phrase false prophet at some point in my life. Oh my gosh. And I have to defend my mom and say she's not like that anymore. I was going to say, where is she at with that now? Mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, was gonna, not like yeah. That I know anymore. a lot of um, people that were homeschooled that like now they're like, I'm reading Harry Potter or I'm reading Lord exactly. of the Rings and their parents are reading it too. And it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't think I could get her to read it, but yeah. she definitely is not that like. She's not, not like, scared of it anymore. Like you're going to go to hell <laughs> no. if yeah. you read these yeah, books. Exactly. I, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So I'm so glad that we talked about books there. I feel like that gives us a really good uh, insight as, as to like how you grew up and like the kind of environment you were in. But mm-hmm. now I want to talk about what happened. So you graduated at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. What happened after that? What did like 15 to 18 look like? And then what happened? Like, did you go to college? What did you study? Yeah. So I just started working. Um, mostly I, I worked almost all of my jobs. I've been a barista. Like nice. that just was kind of what I, I ended up starting out in. And at one point in time, I worked in one of those um, like huts that's set up in like a parking lot. Oh, nice. Like a kiosk. And that was fantastic. Yeah. Cause it was just me. Like, yes. that's like yes. introvert heaven. Like it was, <laughs> yes. it was just me. I could read my book in between customers. I could keep the whole place clean and like yep. organized. It was great. Yeah. And so when I was a teenager, I had a friend that invited me to a youth group and really between like 15 and 17 really discovered my own personal relationship beyond just what I had been taught. And like, this is what we believe because that's what my parents taught me. Right. And this is what I grew up in um, and really found my own faith and got involved in this youth group and really felt I think drawn to ministry even then, but wouldn't have necessarily put those words on it. I just really liked to be there and help. And I led the drama team with my friends. This was in the day of the human video. (laughs) And (laughs) and I actually did design stuff and um, I would design like t-shirts for events and I did some photography stuff and I sang on the praise and worship team and I would go in early on youth group nights and help our youth leader like get set up and she'd give me a store list and I'd go to Walmart and like buy all the snacks and restock the pop machine and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> and it was a huge part of my life and I loved it so much. And then, and I will like freely admit that at this stage in my life, I had definitely some very legalistic views of faith. Right. Again, having grown up in that really strict conservative house, that sort of like stereotypical legalism and judgmentalness. Right. I definitely did not have my theology right. I wouldn't even necessarily say that I think I still am learning so much and I would never say that like I have it all right now. Right, right. But I like definitely had some things that I was still learning and growing in and becoming an adult and figuring things out outside of what my parents had told me. And and the church that I was involved in in the youth group, I loved the youth group, 
the church was very charismatic. Okay. And there was a lot of what they preached and believed that didn't necessarily align with my full belief system. There was a lot of like prosperity gospel. Oh, yeah. Um, which even then I didn't like fully agree with to the extent like this was very, very charismatic, like preacher, like talking about how you never had to be sick a day in your life. And right. you should have like, if you're doing it right, you'd and be fine. Yeah. And, yeah. Like if you just have enough faith, that sort of thing, which never sat right with me. Mm. Right. But yeah. if you were in leadership in the youth group, you were expected to go to the church, which totally 100 percent agree with and, and understand. Right. And so I, I went to the church and just kind of was like, you know, we agree that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's fine. We don't have to agree on every little nuance of theology. Like, it's okay. The The youth pastor, she ended up asking me a question one night when it was just the two of us about what I thought about a guest speaker that had come in. And he had preached this very odd sermon that had kind of set the church you know how sometimes something will happen and people in the church kind of start talking yeah <laughs> and they're oh, like yeah. it's like we yeah, can create, talk about it creates weird. a buzz yeah <laughs> and there was a lot of this that was kind of a weird sermon like <laughs> what did you think of that and i had right. a bunch of friends coming to me and asking me and i was like i've seen this happen before <laughs> and i'm not gonna rock the boat here and was like, go talk to your parents, go talk to the pastor, like, whatever, you don't need to hear my opinion, like, nose ahead, not not going there. Right. And, but my youth pastor asked me, and again, being a one, I have to be honest, like, she's an adult, she asked me a question, I have to answer, and I was like, well, I kind of don't know that biblically I agreed with it, and X, Y, and Z, here's why. And I'm not 100% sure what happened from there, but the end result was me getting pulled into a meeting with the pastor's wife, my youth pastor, and like three other adult leaders in the youth group. Yeah. <laughs> and I was 17. My parents were not there. It was just me. And the pastor's wife like grilled me oh on my, my theology and everything that I believed. And like I explained, like, this is what I believe. And here's my stance. And I think it's fine. We don't have to agree on everything. And, and it's okay. And the pastor's wife did not agree <laughs> and promptly pulled me out of every place that I was serving oh. and told me that I couldn't serve anymore. And she looked at me and said that my disunity would disrupt the presence of God. Oh, oh yeah. man. Yep. And I was just destroyed yeah and heartbroken and i had a friend my best friend at the time also went to this youth group and she was like i think this sucks and i think that the way that they're treating you is horrible but like i can't do anything about it my family goes to this church i don't want them to get shunned right and so it was like super hard and so i left and really my personality and this is where i love God and how he works things. I should have like just hid and not <laughs> ever wanted to step foot in church again. Right. And not wanted to do anything. And instead, like I found myself, my best friend actually like left the youth group. She left for her own reasons. And, and I was like, we've gone to youth group every night for like the last three, four years. We have to find somewhere else to go. Let's just find somewhere else to go. Right. And so 
we decided one Wednesday night that we were just going to try. We had friends that went to a different youth group. We're like, we'll just go. We show up and it ends up being a service night and we go out to do some yard work for a couple that owned a home in the mansion district of Helena, which is like where all of the fancy old hundreds and hundreds of year old Victorian homes are. Yeah. And so we were doing yard work for them. And again, I was fairly shy. Being a part of this youth group really helped me over the years, like be less shy and come out of my shell. But I was still very shy, pretty timid around boys. Result of being homeschooled and graduating early and working is that I always had older guys who thought I was older than I was. Yeah. And they would like ask for my phone number and stuff and I would (laughs) never give it to them. Eventually they would figure out. Eventually they would figure out that like they were 18 and I was 15 and then they yeah. would run away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I was pretty cautious around guys and got paired off classically into different groups. This group's going to go mow the lawn. This group's going to go rake leaves. So I end up separated from my best friend. Oof. It, Classic. First time at this youth group with no one that I know. And I'm just like, I'm just going to go rake leaves over here yep. by myself. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to talk to anybody. I don't know I'm any just going to do people. my thing. <laughs> and this guy comes over and starts talking to me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and strike up a conversation and weirdly feel super comfortable talking with him. And we end up like chatting most of the night. And then I invited him to come hang out at Perkins with my friend and I, because Perkins was the hangout spot because it was the only place in Helena open after six o'clock. And we ended up hanging out the next day and like talking more. And then he ended up inviting me. We have something in Helena called the Vigilante Parade, Mm -hmm. which is probably the most Montana thing that you can think (laughs) of. It basically yeah, is all yeah. both high schools make floats and they get like a day off from school and there's a parade downtown with all of their floats and each of their floats depicts something in Helena or Montana history. So there's nothing quite like a bunch of teenagers oh, depicting God. big Dorothy's brothel. Yeah. On a float. <laughs> yeah, wow. that makes sense. Yeah. And that's somehow, you know, acceptable. Yes. Yeah. So we laugh about this all the time. But (laughs) so he it was his senior year. He was doing a float. He invited me. And also to tell you how books even played into this. (laughs) He at the time um, when I met this guy, his name is Tony. He was a volunteer firefighter. He was graduating that summer and he worked for a volunteer fire department outside of town. Did it, Tony. And (laughs) he invited me to like, oh, hey, come come out to the fire station. Check out the float that I'm building. That was like his end this first day that we met. And my friend teased me because he asked for my phone number and I gave it to him. And she was like, who are you? And what have you done with my friend? Ashley like, never does this. you never do that. Yeah. yeah. So I gave him my number. We, we met up with him the next day. I took my, my friend with me for safety, you yeah. know? Yeah. But he, I had just finished reading this like Christian thriller romance <laughs> series. I was about halfway in it. And I had just finished the book about a firefighter with the yeah. brother who was the firefighter. That makes sense. Yeah. So this was very attractive to me yeah. at this time in my life. And wow. so, gotcha. so he invited me yeah, to like come to the parade and there's a dance afterward. And so I went to the dance with him and I had had one other boyfriend 
um, before this and, and it lasted for about three months before I was like, yeah, no, I need to break this off. And, <laughs> I'm good. Thanks, and though. <laughs> so I was at this point in my life where I was like, I had just gone through this really awful, like leaving this church that I had been a part of forever. And I had had this conversation with God where I was like, I'm not looking for a guy. If you ask me to be single until I'm 28, which, <laughs> you know, when you're 17, you think is so, so old, long, right? So old. And so, so far I'm away. Like, That's fine. I'm not going to date anybody. And so I knew by the weekend, so we met on Wednesday and I knew by Sunday, which was Mother's Day. So this was in May wow. of 2001. I was like, wow, he's probably going to ask me out <laughs> and I'm going to tell him no. And I'm going to tell him that we can be friends until <laughs> the end of the summer. And if, if we're both still interested at that point. Then he can ask me out right. and we can go out on a date. I had a whole speech planned. So as expected that weekend, he asks me out and he gives me this whole prepared speech of seriously dating, seeing where God's going to take our relationship, like all of these things. And I opened my mouth to give him his speech back after he said, so would you want to go out? And I said, yeah, I'd like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice try. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And long story short, two weeks later, I knew that I was going to marry him. And eight months later, we did get married. Nice. Wow. We have been we've been married for 16 years now. Holy cow. So so, but yes, we got married eight months. We, we got we met in May. By June, we were officially engaged or by August, we were officially engaged. With wow. The and in January, we got married That's... because I turned 18 in November and I didn't want to have a Christmas wedding. Yeah. And Smart. so January was the next best date. Jeez. Right. And it blizzarded on our wedding day. <laughs> Jeez. Beautiful. My goodness. Okay. So that's what happened between 15 and 18. That was a <laughs> just, lot. Just marriage. That was, I had no idea. I thought it was going to be like, yeah, I just like worked for three years and then I went to college. And <laughs> No. Nope, never went to college. Self-taught and everything. That's fantastic. It's, it's been a wild, wild ride. And the, That's so the good. irony of all of that and the funny thing that I realized about a year ago that God really told me when I was like struggling and working through some stuff, there's a whole lot of backstory. I will just say that my husband was in emergency services for a while. I worked as a 911 dispatcher right after we got married. Mm-hmm. And then he went into law enforcement and he was a deputy sheriff for six years. And now he's a pastor. Wow. <laughs> he's the, the local Helena campus pastor at Fresh Life Church. Yeah. And I realized a year ago, as I was thinking, God kept bringing this verse back to me about whatever has been taken, he gives back, you know, and how he returns what has been taken like sevenfold. Yes. And, yep. And he redeems the years that the locusts have stolen, you know? Right. And I was, he kept bringing this to me and I was thinking about it and he really just opened my eyes and made me realize like I went through that really hard, terrible experience at church. And eventually we did stop going to church. We were involved in the church that we got married at, that we met at, at that youth group for a little bit of time. But then we had about four years where we didn't go to church at all Mm -hmm. because all of that hurt and pain really did catch up to me. Right. Yeah, and I yep. didn't want to have anything to do with church for a while. Mm-hmm. And then my kids got a little older and I was like, I want them to have the same experience with church that I did and loving right. it as a kid and yeah. having it be a second home to them. 
And so I was like, we need to get involved. So we got involved with a church, but then we ended up finding Fresh Life. Yeah. Um, Tony found it when he was working as a deputy. He was on lake patrol for like a year and a half. And right. during the winter, there's not a lot that happens out of the lake. And so he <laughs> listened to a lot of podcasts and he came across Fresh Life and Pastor Levi's sermons and started listening to them and was like, you have to listen to them. And I was super skeptical. I was that person that was like, is this a cult? You know? <laughs> and yeah. But as soon as I started listening, I kid you not, the very first sermon series I heard from Pastor, he literally addressed everything that had hurt me right. in that previous church. Wow. And God was like, this is a safe space. Wow. Like, it's okay. You can be here. This yeah. is somewhere where you actually do believe in what the pastor is saying from right. the pulpit. That's so good. And so fast forward to now, God was like, okay, so you were super hurt in this situation, but you were in that youth group. You felt kind of called to ministry, but maybe didn't realize it. The things that you did in that youth group, my my main gifts and, and the ways in which I helped was doing like design work, designing t-shirts, creating stuff. Mm -hmm. And like doing the shopping and like supplying the resources and that kind of thing. And if you fast forward to now, I work for the church as well. Yep. And I work for the creative department doing design. <laughs> and I also do all of the ordering of the resources. That's so good. So yes. all of those things that I did at that youth group. Right. I am doing now in an on staff capacity. Wow. And not only that, but I left the church because of how the pastor's wife responded. Yeah. And now I am the pastor's wife. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I get to make sure that that doesn't happen. Nobody has that experience yeah. that I had. Yeah. That's and so good. And I get to relate when people come into our church having experienced pain because so many people have experienced heartache at the hands of people in the church yeah. and For real? shy about coming to church and getting involved. And wow. I can stand there and say like, I've been there. <laughs> and if I'm here and I'm saying this is a safe space, trust me. Yeah. It's important to me too. Yeah. So I just, I love to look back on that whole long story and see how through all of that, like not only did God bring me to my husband, but then where he has us now That's so good. Right. is just such an amazing redemption of all the heartache and crap that I went through as right. a teenager. Yeah. I love the way that all that connects. And actually speaking of connection, you're leading me perfectly into what I wanted to talk about next, which is what you do for work. So let's talk about what you do for the creative team and what you do for resourcing at our church. Yeah. So I, I do graphic design. So um, lots of little things. The main thing that I do right now is I do all of like our Fresh Life Kids graphic design content. So especially since during COVID and since we've been doing church online, rather than being able to gather in person, we've yeah. really been pushing a lot more kids resources online, trying right. to help parents, you know, give their kids something to do, help them still have their Fresh Life Kids experience at home. And so we've been creating a lot more um, like activity sheets and we started a fresh life kids Instagram page. And so um, we kind of ended up rebranding fresh life kids in the middle of all of that. And nice. so that's been my baby and that's what I've taken <laughs> over. So well done. that's a big part of what I do. And I really love that part of it. So yeah, I do all sorts of different graphic design stuff, whatever 
you know, kind of comes up that needs to be done that our right. director um, isn't taking care of or needs help with. Um, I get to work with Dixie sometimes, yeah. which is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Fun party times. And uh, yeah, and then as far as resources, basically anything that needs to be printed, I order. So oh, Tony okay. and I actually had a graphic design business for about 10 years. And so I'm super familiar with like printing specs and right. you know, wow. paper types and all that kind of stuff. And so right. um, that's something you know, whether we're ordering invites that need to be printed as postcards or whether we're looking at merch or apparel or something like that, I typically do the research and get all the pricing and specs oh, that's and stuff awesome. gathered and then do the actual ordering. So That's awesome. That's so cool. Going back to the graphic design stuff, you said completely self-taught on this side of things. Like you never went to college for graphic design. You just kind of poured yourself into it and learned what you know. Yeah, yeah. I was always like, Along with with reading and and writing as a kid, the other thing that I was always doing was drawing or sketching or um, some sort of art in that. And like I've always been very creative. And so when Tony and I first when we got engaged after he graduated from high school, he worked at a sign shop and did some design work through that and knew how to like work some design software because of that. Like we got like some free version of Corel Draw back in the day. And right. yeah. he taught me how to use that. And so I just kind of learned how to work those programs and then eventually graduated to like Adobe Illustrator and yeah, just kind of learned as I went along yeah. um, how to convert paper sketch art to something that could be digitized and used for all sorts of things. So right. yeah, definitely completely self-taught and the internet <laughs> has been a huge help. <laughs> Thank Absolutely. you, YouTube. For that. Yes. As time has progressed. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to No Normal People this week. If you like what you're hearing, the best place to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or Facebook.com where you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KnowPeoplePod. That's K-N-O-W PeoplePod. Also, be sure to use our hashtags, KnowNormalPeople and hashtag KNP. Hi there, my name is Dixie Lee and I am the host of Authors Intent. As a movie addict and book enthusiast, I both love and hate the decisions some directors make in book adaptations. Join me as we go through the best books this world has to offer as we dive into what the author intended. We'll talk about the things that were done well, as well as some of the major faux pas in some of the most beloved stories. Season 1, Episode 1, we will be diving into the wonderful world of Harry Potter, starting, of course, with the Sorcerer's Stone. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Authors Intent. And a special thanks to Louis Zong for the use of his song Melody Meadows off of his album Levels. I love that kind of story where you just you just pick up what you're interested in and you just get after it. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that that kind of translated in itself into writing novels. So I want to talk about first, like the books you have written 
And then I also want to get into like what it's like to have an agent and work on getting things published and even just your writing process. I just want to dig into it. Yeah. So first, just tell me what you like to write about. I'm so curious. So I write middle grade novels. I've written both fantasy and contemporary. Okay. So my book that I signed with my literary agent for is sort of a continuation, if you will, of Alice in Wonderland. So the main character is Alice's daughter. Oh. So it has that sort of Alice in Wonderland vibe, bringing in all of the classic characters, that sort of thing. It's a little creepy. <laughs> okay. It's not, I wouldn't classify it as horror, but it definitely has some like dark and scary woods sort of vibes to right. it. Yeah. Um, but then I also write contemporary, which is just sort of modern settings, modern time. Sometimes there's like a little bit of some sort of magical element woven in, but it's not fantasy. It's more right. of like, there's just this little magical element that's normal to everybody. Right. Okay. But I write a mix of what I like to call humorous and heartfelt. So it, it has those moments of hopefully I make you laugh as you're reading it, <laughs> yeah. but also could potentially make you cry at some point. Right. Sure. Um, those are my favorite kinds of books. And so that's what I, I try to bring into my own writing. That's, wow, excellent. that's so cool. So what is it like to get hooked up with an agent and then work on some publishing projects? It's a journey for sure. So I've been... I've been pursuing writing like professionally as a career for about 10 years now. So yeah, um, it was like I said, it was always something that I wanted to do, especially when I was a kid. But as you know, happens as you grow up, sometimes you sort of think, well, how realistic is that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so it started to feel kind of like this pipe dream akin to becoming a pop star or a movie star. <laughs> like it, it right. felt like that thing that special people can maybe do. Yeah. I'm not um, Beyonce. You know, maybe, so. Yeah. Maybe people <laughs> who live in Los Angeles or New York. Right. And so my husband really was the one that like pushed me to pursue it. I got some information just in a box of like books that I had ordered from Barnes and Noble. There were like some ads thrown in with the packaging. And one of them was for the Institute of Children's Literature, which just offered like a, again, a, a correspondence course, but what they did was they basically assigned you to like a, a mentor huh. and they would give you assignments and writing assignments and kind of walk you through things. And then you would write out your assignment and you would send it to your teacher and then they would like give you comments on it and feedback and kind of grade it and send it back to you. That's cool. And it, it's not like a college level course, but just like a, a learning course. And so he was like, I really think that you should do it. That's awesome. And so I was like, okay. And I did it. And as I learned about the process and realized that like, oh, it's not this big unattainable thing. Like there are very reachable steps. Then it became like, oh, like I can actually do this. So I started off doing some short stories. I have had some short stories and articles published in some children's magazines. Oh, cool. And that's kind of where I started. And and then I, I found something called NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. And it happens every November. And it's this thing that like a group of college guys started in their dorm one year. And it just kind of blew up from there. 
And people from all over the world try to reach this goal of writing 50,000 words in the month of November, Uh, which is for children's fiction is like enough to get a full novel, like adult fiction. You're kind of halfway there. You could do a short story or a memoir, but for children's fiction, it's great because you can have a whole novel in one month. Wow. That's where I started. And I wrote my first novel during that in 2009. And I was like, I can actually do this. And so I focused still on like the short story writing for a little while. And then for NaNoWriMo in, I believe it was 2012, I decided that I wanted to write a children's novel. And up until then, I had played around with like some young adult fiction and some adult fiction. I'd written a few different things just kind of for fun. Mm -hmm. They're still on my computer. They're not finished. Probably no one will ever see them. But (laughs) I was learning that whole time and like reading and learning what a good story looked like. When I wrote that first children's book, the process is basically you write the book, you edit it, you learn everything you can about what makes a good story. Preferably you have some other writers, maybe a couple who are a little farther along in you in knowledge, read it, give you feedback, you edit from there, and then you start querying agents. Mm. And so you look up agents, Make sure they're reputable. Do your research. Um, A literary agent should never ask you for money. Sure. Yeah. They don't get paid until you get paid. And so you follow their guidelines on their website, which usually is send them a cover letter that basically gives the back (laughs) of the book blurb. Yeah. How many words it is, a little bit about you. And then they... Um, usually ask for like the first chapter or the first 10 pages of the book. Mm-hmm. And then you send that off and then you wait. Mm, <laughs> yes. And you see what happens. The famous and waiting period. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be 8, 10, 12 weeks before you can even start to expect to hear something back. Oof. Right. And so it's a lot of just putting it out there and then waiting. And I queried that first novel and I had one agent respond. And she asked for a phone call. I had no idea what to expect at this point. So I I wasn't expecting an offer or anything like that. I didn't know what to expect. Mm. And she ended up talking with me and telling me like how much she loved this story. It was a fantasy, very much like a wind in the willows esque like animal characters. Sort of thing. Yeah. And she told me like it was beautiful. And she thought that I was a great writer. And this was the first time that anyone beside my husband was like, you can do this. You're a great writer. So it meant so much. But she was like, this isn't marketable as a debut. I won't be able to sell this. She said. And so it was also really hard, but she was like really honest. And she took the time to like correspond with me for probably a month afterward. And she looked at another book that I was in the process of writing. And she was like, I just don't think this is finished. This isn't quite there. But again, like you're really talented, like keep going. And if you have something else in the future, like please send it to me. She was super encouraging. Like I said, she looked at a bunch of my stuff. Yeah. So I threw myself into that next book. I ended up rewriting it. She was totally right. I had ended it too soon. I ended up fixing that, finishing it, and I submitted it into a contest. And then I got into that contest. And it was a mentorship contest where writers get paired with either 
agented or published authors or people in the writing industry. So like professional editors, that sort of thing. Mm. And they help you kind of tone and refine your manuscript. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of two months of mentorship, all the submissions are kind of put up on a blog and agents can come through and read them like the first 250 words and a little like blurb. And if they're interested, they'll like leave a comment and say, Hey, send me this. And so I, I got into that and I knew that I wanted, this was the same book that this agent had looked at and said was good, but like wasn't quite there. And I knew that I wanted to send it to her because I knew that like I had such a good experience with her on the phone. And I mm -hmm. really, and this was like, this was 2015. So I think I had originally talked to her in 2013. Okay. And this wow, was 2015. Okay. Yeah. I had gone through a lot of revising on this book and a lot of work. And I was like, do I, do I not? Like, maybe she does. She's already read it once. Like, maybe she won't be interested. <laughs> but I was like, I have to. And so I sent it to her. And about a week later, she emailed me and was like, you know, I've been following you on Twitter and I saw that you were working on this and that you got into this um, contest, which is right. called Pitch Wars. She's like, and I almost reached out to you and asked you to send it to me. And I was so glad to see it in my inbox. Yes. So she's like, I'm going to read. That's so and awesome. then it was eight weeks. <laughs> and in the meantime, I had sent it out through like the contest to a bunch of other um, agents and I had started getting rejections and I was like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. And then I get an email from her and she's like, OK, I really like this. I want to talk to my team about it. Is it still available? And I said, yes, yes <laughs> By <nice. all> means, <laughs> please. And so then a week later, she emailed me again. She's like, hey, can we chat on the phone? And so I'm like really don't know what to expect now because we've done this phone chat before. Yeah. And so we start talking about it. And she's saying that, like, she thinks it's great and that I did exactly what the book needed. And she has this idea for like a couple of things that would need to happen in the book. And would I be OK with that? And mm. I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And she was like, awesome. I want to offer you representation. Ah, oh, so heck yes. it was amazing. That's so like, cool. She was the only agent that I ever wanted from the moment that I talked <laughs> to her. And so I signed with her in 2016. So I've been with her for four years as of January. And, okay. you know, it, it hasn't been an easy road. We went out. The process from there is basically she compiles a list of editors that she knows at the publishing houses that she has relationships with that she thinks could be interested in the book. Yeah. From there, the editor will read. And if an editor is interested, then they take it to acquisitions which is basically a big fancy meeting at the publishing house where the editors pitch the books that they would like to work on that they think the publishing house should buy and publish. Oh. And then the publishing house says, yes, we'll buy it or no, we're not going to. Right. And so that's kind of the process. So books can make it to acquisitions and die in acquisitions and the mm. publishing company can still say no, even if the editor wants it. And so, we were out for a year sending it to different editors and got rejection after rejection and, and really kind, really sweet rejections. And meanwhile, I was working on another book and I finished that one and we went out with that one and it was kind of the same thing. A lot of really positive. This is great. The writing is beautiful, but it's just not marketable enough. Huh. Right. And it's, it's a really challenging market to break into, especially as a debut. And there's this phrase that authors hear a lot that we all kind of hate. And it's this too quiet, 
which Mm. is essentially like, we don't feel like there's this great big commercial hook that's going to cause this to be a really high selling book. Right. Yeah. And so really consistently, like we've heard that and it's, it's hard because it's not like they're saying, well, you need to work on your character arc or your setting. You need to work something that you can like tangibly work on. It's literally just like, this is a great book but we don't think it will sell enough. Mm. So we're not going to offer to buy it or like, we're not willing to take the risk on it. Dang. And so that's been really like, it, honestly, it's been, it's been hard. There's been a lot of ups and downs we've gone out and I've had like really hard periods of it. Um, feeling really down. Like it's never going to happen. You know, it's for me, like fighting that fear of disappointment to keep hoping. Right. Yeah. But it all boils down to like, I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to keep writing and I'm super thankful for my agent and the agency that I'm at because it's just really fantastic right? and really wonderful. And she's so encouraging. Yeah. So that's been the the writing journey. Yeah. What got you interested in writing for this like middle grade age range? So middle grade books, there, in my opinion, is no other genre that is as hopeful mm. as middle grade books. I always had a love for children's books. I went through this like classic children's literature phase when I was actually in my mid teens. And I, that's when I read Alice in Wonderland and mm. sort of all of those classic children's books like Tale of Despero, which a lot of people might be familiar with the film. But I remember reading that book and being so just stunned by the depth of the story. And I am a huge Kate DiCamillo fan. Mm-hmm. She is yeah. such a phenomenal writer and I love her books. Right. But that was the first time where I was like, there is so much substance mm. and there is so much depth to it. And there's so much she's saying, and it, it has a little bit of a dark edge to it. I mean, even if you just watch the film, sure, there's yeah. like this deep, like sadness and, and darkness in some of the storyline. And it was like, you can put that in a children's book. <laughs> and, right. and the more that I began to read it, the more I realized that it is just so hopeful because In middle grade fiction, there has to be some sort of hope at the end. Mm -hmm. Like it can be very realistic and and middle grade books tackle so many heavy topics. I mean, I have friends who have books with parents with mental illnesses. I have a friend Mm -hmm. who has a book where the mom is schizophrenic and it's the Mm -hmm. her daughter's kind of journey to not trying to fix her mom, but love her and depression, suicide, environmental issues, race, like they tackle so many big issues because kids are dealing with those issues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they need that. I can get through this. Like if I can see this character getting through this, maybe I can get through it too. Right. And so you can tackle such depths of challenges and life, but you give them hope in it. It's like young adult and adult fiction doesn't necessarily have to be hopeful. Young adult, definitely more so than <laughs> yeah. than adult. But like if you read adult fiction, it, it doesn't have to be hopeful. Everything can be terrible at the end. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it just like, ends and you're sad. <laughs> yeah. But children's fiction is always like, even if it's not the way that I want it to be at the end, like there's hope. And I'm going to be okay. And I love that so much about children's books. And and that's why I write it because it's that way of saying like, 
I know this is hard, but you're going to be okay. That's mm. so beautiful. And it's the age in which you are falling in love with the books. So it's like exactly you, you get to write to middle school Ashley and, yes. and provide that hope like backwards. Yeah, that's that's good. so beautiful. Yes. And I mean, I'm a huge proponent of adults reading children's fiction. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yep. Again, like there are so many things that I have learned reading children's books that I was never taught in history class. Yes. That I had no idea about. Yeah. But I, because I read it in this book, like it develops empathy. Like that's another big thing about children's books is it's developed empathy in the reader like no other. Like it, it just sharing in that story and being in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. yeah. And it gets to tune you into like inhabiting another person's point of view. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. You get to like tune into that. I remember... It was just last year. It was a very quick read for me, but I read the BFG. Yes. And mm, yes, I oh love my, that book. <laughs> oh my word. Just because it's called children's fiction does not mean that only children can be reading it. Yeah. That's so good. Ashley, thank you for, well, I mean, like teaching us about the writing process. That yeah. sounds yeah. amazing and terrifying and <laughs> hopeful. Terrifying. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I want to ask you one of my favorite questions. We've mentioned that you're an Enneagram one. So am I. And like, mm-hmm. I could talk about this forever. <laughs> Do you follow yes. any particular morning or evening routines? Yeah, I I start off my morning with Bible study and journaling. The journaling is actually something that I just started at the beginning of this year. It's something that I've done, but I've never been consistent in. But that's really become a huge part of my morning routine since like the beginning of 2020. Um, but yeah, getting up and getting ready for my day. And then when things aren't too busy and I don't get distracted, I, I try to have a half an hour to an hour of writing time in the morning. And if I, I don't really get that in the morning, then I'll sit down in the evening after dinner and do that. But evening routine generally is just sitting on the couch with my husband and typically we'll watch maybe a couple of YouTube videos. We love to watch like cooking videos. We have um, photography stuff that my husband's watching right now that he's super into and just having some like quiet time in the evening together. Sure. Before mm-hmm. we go to bed. That's amazing. Two specific questions about what you've mentioned. Do you follow any particular template when you journal or are you just empty page, just going for it? Some days I'll do soap journaling, scripture, observation, application, prayer. Yeah. But more recently, it just very free form. Like sure. I'll usually, I always write out some sort of verse, like something from a devotional that I'm reading through or something that popped out at me during a sermon on Sunday or a scripture that I came across or if there's something that I'm specifically like needing, whether it's joy or peace or hope, I'll, you know, look up verses that go with that. And mm. I, I almost always put a verse at the top of each entry. But beyond that, it's it can be anything like it, it, it sometimes will be here's my thoughts on this verse. Sometimes it will just be like, this is how I'm feeling right now or a mm. prayer, like whatever, kind of whatever my soul needs that morning okay yeah just kind of a check-in like taking notes on yourself and on your thoughts and on your heart that's very good second question about your routines what does a writing session look like for you like what's what's the optimal and i'm interested in like the details like do you like to listen to music (laughs) do you just put headphones on to silence things what kind of drink do you like when you write where do you sit all those 
Yeah. I, yeah, I have this little spot in the corner of my room and I have this little upholstered vintagey chair with little pineapples all over it that brings me joy. And <laughs> I sit joy. there when I need just like a really quiet space. I, I don't need silence to write. I will sometimes write with music. Some of my books I've even like compiled whole soundtracks. Oh, for. wow. Oh, cool. It just kind of depends on how I'm feeling that day or how the flow is going as far as like the music versus silence thing. I also really love just sitting on my couch in my living room. We have nice big windows in our living room and I love writing by a window where there's lots of natural light coming in and Mm -hmm. it just feels cozy. If there's not too much happening and too much noise, but sometimes like I just would rather sit with the family out in the living room and Ignore the noise and, and write. <laughs> right. I love to have like a cup of tea and preferably something sweet. I have a sweet tooth, so I love like baked goods. So cookies and scones and things like that. I love yeah. to have that one. Yeah. Um, when I'm writing and I just as a consequence of having written from the time my kids were really young. So like two and four. It's always kind of been a take the time when you can get it right. kind of a thing. Oh, okay. And so lots of times, like when I was first writing, especially like my my first couple of novels that I wrote, I would just keep a notebook on like the kitchen counter. And as dialogue or scenes or whatever would pop into my head, I would jot it down. Um, now that looks like, you know, a note on my iPhone right. um, where I will just jot stuff down as it pops into my head and I learned the hard way that if something pops into my head to write it down because I will not remember it later. Yeah. Especially if it's like right before bed or right as you're like falling asleep and you're like, I'll remember it in the morning. No, No, you won't. won't. Just roll over. Just like pick up your phone. It's fine. (laughs) Get out of bed if you have to. Yeah. So yeah, my, I preferably on a, on a perfect day, I would, Right from about eight o'clock to nine o'clock in the morning before I start my work day and get it in then so that I don't have to worry about it later in the day. And I don't feel guilty because I haven't got my words in and I don't feel like I'm trying to drum up the creative energy at the end of my day. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's that's what I prefer is like get up, have breakfast, get ready for the day and then be able to sit down for about an hour with a cup of tea um, before my work day starts and get in at least 250 to 500 words a day. Do you use any particular apps? Are you writing in pages or do you like Scrivener? I use Scrivener. I love Scrivener. Okay. I always recommend Scrivener. I When I first started, I was doing it in Word and editing was just horrendous because it was one big long document and you'd have to scroll. And yeah. Scrivener is fantastic because I don't have to like copy documents in order to edit them and still have my original like you can just do it right there in the the sidebar and and copy your scene and edit and have it still all be in one Mm. document and it's super easy to find which chapter and get exactly to that chapter you need really quickly and i i just love um how easy scrivener makes it to edit it's a lifesaver nice okay what's your relationship like with the backspace and delete button Uh, Or I I guess another way to ask that question is how did you develop the muscle to not self edit as you're going through your first draft? 
it is an ongoing struggle. <laughs> I constantly have to remind myself that this is not the final draft. Like, just get the words down on paper. Yeah. It is. It's hard. I definitely, I don't always just keep going. <laughs> there are times when I stop and redo something or look back at yesterday's chapter and I have to like really definitely fight that urge, but it just, it takes practice. I've, I've done enough books that I know that, okay, I've done this before. Like mm. I can just get it all out and I know that it's going to be a mess yeah. and that's okay. I will be able to fix it later. And what's important is just getting the story on the paper. But yeah, I definitely have to remind myself. And my husband knows that about me. And so yep. he will tell me, like, just get it down. Just put the words on the paper. So that's helpful too. That's good. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, my English teacher in college, uh, freshman year, he taught us an exercise that he called writing to think. So he would set a timer, a big timer with like huge red digital letters up on his desk at the top of the class and he would put five minutes up and say the second i hit the start button your pen is not allowed to lift and stop literally like you are just writing to think if you only are writing the phrase i don't know what to write over and over and over again i don't care mm -hmm. just don't <laughs> stop and that absolutely terrified me <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing that really helped me, I think, is because I started writing novels with NaNoWriMo, yeah. in order to hit 50,000 words in 30 days over the month of November, you have to write 1,667 words a day. Oh, wow. my gosh. And so in order to do that, and I did that six years in a row, I think. I managed it to do that. Like you can't self edit or you'll yes. never yeah. hit that. Right. Yes. That, that helped a That's little awesome. bit with like training me to not self edit because self editing would mean that it would take me longer to hit my word count for the day. Right. That's, that's like that that's scene very fair. in uh, the Emperor's New Groove where Kronk is like the poison, the poison for Kuzco. <laughs> the, yes. The poison specifically exactly. to kill Kuzco. That poison. <laughs> Like, yes, yes, that that that, <laughs> that and mean is used a lot in yes. like NaNoWriMo chats. <laughs> like this is how we write. This is what you do. That's so There's good. There's a quote by Shannon Hale that I love, and she talks about how she has to remind herself that I'm simply shoveling sand into a box so that later I can build castles. Oh, and I wow. I love that. So I think about That's that good. a lot. I'm just wow. shoveling sand right now. It'll be a castle later, but yeah. right now I just need the sand. What about the the common writer's phrase, kill your darlings? How hard of a muscle is that to develop? It can be really hard. I can get super married to certain scenes. Yeah. And so that definitely can be really tough. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really love about my agent. She will always, she'll be like, I think maybe you need to like think about cutting this, but she's always like, but it's your book mm. and it's your decision. And so yeah. if I can make a really strong case for why I think it actually does need to stay, she's 100% on board. Yeah. But 99.9% .9 of the time <laughs> she's totally right. Yeah. You well, know? Yeah. And, so, and that's, and that's the relationship you guys are creating that, that bond of yeah. trust between you two mm -hmm. that she can critique and she can offer what she's reading 
like because mm-hmm. she didn't write it, she gets that extra objective view. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I'd but be it, really it good at that job. <laughs> you probably lie. would be ruthless. Be <laughs> <laughs> like, that's great, but no. <laughs> wow. And you also know, like, I know that I can't get too attached to anything because even if I love it and my agent is like, yeah, that's great. If an editor buys it, like there's always a chance that they're going to be like, Hey, I think you need to change this. You know, like there's always another level of editing until the day that it's published. Yeah. And so you kind of have to learn to hold things loosely. We were having a conversation today ever since COVID started. My agency has been doing these like weekly zoom calls where whoever is available can just kind of pop on and my agent, you know, just kind of chats with everybody and some of the other agents at the agency and what's the state of publishing look like. And just basically like a really a mental health check-in. How are you all? How is everybody doing? It's okay if we're not doing okay. That's so great. And it's been really, really fabulous. And I'm so proud to be part of the agency and shout out to Marietta Zacker at the Galt Zacker (laughs) Literary Agency. She's amazing. She was, you know, even saying this morning they were talking about titles getting changed Mm. and, and one of the authors like having been like they still hadn't like the publishing company still hadn't finally settled on on a title and one of the other authors was saying like oh my gosh the titles that we you know went through with the publisher some of them we were like where did you come up with that you know so there's that (laughs) knowledge that something can get changed at any stage in the game so try not to get Make sure you know what you are attached to and what is essential to your story and and what is the hill that you're willing to die on. Mm -hmm. Right. And then kind of hold everything else pretty loosey-goosey. Yeah. Sure. Whoa, that's that's a crazy mindset. I could tell people uh, what to change, but I wouldn't be able to change anything about what I write. I'd be like, no, this this is it. (laughs) You like it or you don't like it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) If you don't like it, I will take it somewhere else or I'll publish it myself. We'll see. Of all the <laughs> advice I've heard on writing, the the kill your darlings mantra is the one that terrifies me the most. Yeah. It's like even if you just write that that one perfect sentence in your blog post and then you read over it again to edit and you're like, that doesn't belong, though. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It hurts so it's a really bad. Great I sentence, know. But- one of the very first assignments that I had when I was going through the Institute of Children's Literature they were like teaching you about proper word lengths for different things because like a hundred thousand word middle grade novel, they're very, 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 very rare. Yeah. And you're going to have a really hard time and it's pretty much never going to happen for a debut author. Like there are standards of, of how long things should be. And one of my first assignments was to write a short like fiction story as in for like a magazine. So short and they said, like, our our word max was 1,200 words. Whoa. And I was at 1,000. So think, like, picture book length. Yeah. Um, just, like, a little story you would read in, like, Highlights magazine. So yeah. I wrote it. It's 1,000 words. Thought it was great. Sent it off to my instructor. And she's like, this is super cute. Here's the thing. If you want to actually sell this to a magazine – it needs to be 500 words max. Oh my god. So like literally Jeez. you have to cut this in half. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh, but I did it and I managed it." But yeah, like it's 
It's hard. <laughs> it takes a lot. Yeah, Dixie would be like, no, nah, just buy another page in the magazine. Okay? <laughs> Put it all in there. Right. This is my story. <laughs> just completely rearrange your magazine for I'm this sorry. story. Wow. This is, it's worth it. This is obviously the most important, important part of this magazine, so fix it. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Ashley, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us tonight. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. I've enjoyed myself immensely. I do want to tell everyone who's listening that they can follow you on Instagram and Twitter at papergram. Stay up to date on when Ashley's books are going to be coming out. I know I'm going to be paying attention to that pretty closely. Fingers crossed. And if anyone's curious to get a flavor of your writing on the prose side or on the nonfiction side, you did have a blog that you ran for quite a while. It's not so active now, but you occasionally contribute. Go check out lemonbiscuitcrumbs.blogspot.com. And all these links will be in the show notes too. So just scroll over there and check those out. Ashley, again, thank you so much for being on the show. To wind us down, we're curious to ask what you are currently reading. I am reading a few books. I never used to read more than one at once, but for whatever reason, I've gotten to a point where it's like, there are so many and I'm just going to read them all. (laughs) Right. um, I usually have a fiction, at least a fiction and a nonfiction going at the same time. So um, I just finished uh, reading Divided by Faith by Mike Emerson, which is just so good (laughs) and also so heartbreaking. Yeah, that that book is number one on my to buy next list. Like it is the next Amazon purchase I will make. So yeah, I just finished that one yesterday. I, it's such an important read, especially right now. Absolutely. So humbling and so important, um, especially for Christians to read in matters of, of race and how the church has really over the years failed the black community and kind right. of a warning of this is where we're going to keep going if we don't course correct. And just Mm. It's hard to listen to and really made me mad mm-hmm. <laughs> and want to just like slap some people, mm-hmm. but so good and so important. And then I'm reading The Fight to Flourish by Jenny Lesko, yeah. which is beautiful and so, so encouraging good. for me as I am fighting to keep hoping for my books and making sure that I'm not giving in to that fear of disappointment. Yeah. Right, yeah. So that's been super encouraging for me. Highly recommend. And then adult fiction, I'm reading uh, Gin Patrol on the Purple Line. Um, mm. It's by Deepa Anapara, and she's an Indian author. And the book is about a young boy who lives in India, essentially in the, the slums of India. And these young kids and young people are disappearing from the Basti where they live. Mm -hmm. And he's super obsessed with detective shows. And so he decides that he's going to figure out what's happening to them. Oh, that's Mm. cool. And it's actually based on actual events. And it's one of those things that kind of slaps you in the face of how privileged we are in America. Oh, yeah. Because the author very much like throws you in the deep end of, of Indian culture and what it's like to live in this Basti. And they're like having to line up to pay to use the bathroom, things like that. And it's just so interesting to, to read even the, the different levels of privilege that she examines among the people themselves and the different areas where they live and police 
demanding bribes and like all these sorts of things. Mm. And it's, it's just really, it's really good and really well written and really enjoying that. And then middle grade, I'm reading what stars are made of by Sarah Allen. Mm. Um, And I actually happen to know Sarah and she's just a fantastic, wonderful person. And this is her debut novel. And it's about a young girl that has Turner syndrome And the author herself, Sarah, she has Turner syndrome. And it's about this girl who basically she makes a deal with the universe that if her older sister who's having a baby, if her baby is born healthy without any like genetic defaults like she has having Turner syndrome, then she's going to make sure that the woman who discovered what stars are made of um, is put into her school textbook. And it's one of the best examples of middle grade voice, like it just the character has so much spunk and personality and just jumps off the page. And that it's is wonderful. I w- I literally have goosebumps right now. Like so I'm good. going it's to so read that. Good. <laughs> it's so, so good. I just I love the voice of her, her character. And it's so interesting. And it's one of those books where like I love when I learn little tidbits of like history or about a subject that I didn't know about before. And mm-hmm. so she's like interweaving all of this information about um, Cecilia. I think her name is Cecilia Payne, um, who was a scientist. Yeah. The first person to discover what stars are made of, mm-hmm. but her work was like kind of stolen by a man. Of course. And so she mm. <laughs> is not in like her school textbook and she wants to fix that. And it's just, it's wonderful. I that highly, is excellent. Highly recommend. I'm going to read that. So good. What are you currently listening to? Maybe music and podcasts. I love That Sounds Fun with Annie F. Downs. Mm. I listen to her podcast pretty regularly and really enjoy that. And I typically listen to whatever music my husband puts on because (laughs) he is the master of creating playlists. Nice. It's really great nice. he has a really excellent taste and so we have a we have a home pod and so now pretty much if you just say like or if he says like hey siri play something i might like it's a pretty awesome playlist because Whoa. he's curated pretty good stuff but we we like uh i'm a big fan of post malone oh yeah and yeah. i love foster the people mm definitely a couple of my favorites right now so and lauren daigle i love oh yeah i love her i like my last book was pretty much written to just listening to her (laughs) album over and over again so right that one has a special place in my heart excellent what are you currently watching maybe youtube channels favorite streaming shows movies of note we watch a lot of cooking stuff. We love the Bon Appetit YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. We also watch a lot of Joshua Weissman. Mm. He does cooking and recipes. Tony's been watching um, a lot of different photography YouTubers. Those have been fun, fun to watch, just like artistically. We love British crime dramas. <laughs> ah, yes. We already watched like all of Broadchurch. That was one of our favorites. Yes. We just started watching Hinterland. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the next kind of British crime drama kick we're on. We're waiting for the next season of Marcella mm. to come out. Now I say this with the caveat of these are very intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, definitely not for everyone. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> Don't run off saying that I told you to watch these and then getting mad at me when you watch them and 
want to yell at the pastor for <laughs> watching those kinds of shows. Right. Yeah. So right. do your research. Yes. But yeah, we, Stay safe. we definitely. And we're almost always watching Parks and Rec on repeat. Yes. Always. Bob's Burgers, you know, stuff that's going to make us laugh. Excellent. Yes. In Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> we yeah. really like that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, we love we love film and are, are almost always watching something. I'm trying to think of something we watched recently that we like really, really enjoyed. Um, you know, we, we always watch the Pixar movies with the kids and stuff. We, we enjoyed Onward. We had fun watching that one. The kids are super into D and D. So they loved it. Yes. Um, Again, one of those things that like my 1990s mother would be horrified by for sure. My children, my children play Dungeons and Dragons yes. just to take it back yeah, to the we, beginning of the show. Yes. <laughs> we're not in the 90s anymore, but we get weird looks when we talk about playing Dungeons and Dragons now. We play D&D so, every yeah. Friday night, and it's the best. fantastic. Yep. My kids are super into it. It's so fun. That's so good. My word. This has been quite the conversation, Ashley. I've loved it. Yeah. Thank you. It's been super fun. To close us out, will you read our favorite quote for the podcast? Yes. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. 